this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started. The dust is real, and so is the multiverse. Asriel's up in the north, and the gobblers might be joining him soon. Stay tuned as we discuss episode one and two of his dark materials. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hey everybody, I'm Rachel Goodman, and joining me tonight is fellow Philadelphian. He's also an editor and producer at AfterBuzz. Please welcome Vito. Hello everybody, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much, Rachel. Yeah, of oh, course. Oh, his dark materials. <laughs> uh, uh, so... Just to kind of like throw this out there, Vito and I were talking before, Mm -hmm. so you have not read the books yet, I have never read the books. I have read very brief things about the books, but I know nothing about the actual story. Awesome. Which is a really good thing, considering I have read the books, so some of this is not quite a surprise to me as we're watching. But it's all Um, a surprise to me. And speaking of surprises, definitely stay tuned. The way we're going to work this particular show, we are going to discuss episode one first, then we're going to jump to episode two at the very end we're actually going to do a page to screen adaptation segment followed by our news which is going to be fun and then we'll do predictions so Mm. you definitely want to stick on through till the end because we've got some extra special stuff going on here tonight let's dive in because we have a lot of content to cover um okay so Lyra's life at Jordan. That's the first topic I want to talk about. Everything kind of leading up to Azrael's not return because he's been in her life, but okay, as somebody who's not read the books, what was your take on this world seeing it and seeing what her life was like? I love the aesthetic of Jordan College. I love how they presented it as kind of like, here's a college that's literally a kingdom in and of itself. They kind of like, it's, Jordan is also kind of Oxford. It seems like it's almost one and the same, but Jordan is obviously separate. I just loved seeing all of this, like, it felt really, like, old in the way that it was while still having some modern taste to it in the way that especially Lyra acts. She's such a rambunctious little person and I just, oh, I love her. I love her immediately too. Her energy instantly for me um, was 
her her energy and her friendship with Roger. Yeah. I instantly bonded with her and I, Roger. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I was I was already on her side and I trusted her. And it was um I also felt kind of bad for her because here's a young person who doesn't have any real parental figures. I definitely felt for her, but it was so obvious to me how much the school had taken care of her and that she was getting through it regardless, which I learned while watching this first episode that the given trust that I gave immediately to her and to Roger is definitely lacking in most characters that we meet in this. I didn't trust most of the characters presented to us, especially in the terms of how they related to specifically her. So let's talk about that then. Okay. Lord Asriel, we meet him pretty quickly. We met him in the pro- in the prologue. I always call it prologue as a book person. I uh, guess it is. <laughs> it is. It's a it's a television prologue. Yeah. So we meet him. He's the first character we meet. Um, and then we see his return 12 years later mm-hmm. when we, we get the sense that he has been in Lyra's life. Mm-hmm. But this particular time he returns and we see the master trying to poison him. So here's wow. the real question. Speaking of a adults and other characters you don't trust. What one? What do you make of Azrael and this whole situation with the other scholars at Jordan College? I love the feeling of an adventurer that goes off and unfortunately leaves everything that he cares about behind. Yeah. It's a very particular character, and I feel as though Azrael fits that kind of dynamic perfectly. I mean, you can you can probably tell me more about this kind of dynamic than anybody else. I'm sure when it comes to the amount of books that you've read, but that particular he, kind of scholar that wants to to learn everything about everything but doesn't want anything else to do with anything else is so intriguing to me. And to see kind of him work in this scholastic, what was it called? Scholastic? Um, it was um, the... Sanctuary. Schol- we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Plastic sanctuary that he has. Definitely a strange concept, but a really interesting one for him to go out and freely learn these things under the guise of this, like, religious group that, like, controls whether people can learn things or not? Well, how do you feel about that, so the, knowing what you know? The Magisterium. Yeah, the and Magisterium. I'm trying, so as a viewer mm-hmm. and someone who loves the books, I'm trying to separate myself from the books because there are, there are there are enough differences where you can do that. It is very faithful to the books, but at the same time, I'm going to pretend like I have not read them because <laughs> that would be really yeah. helpful for me at yeah, least. Yeah. I'm sure some of our viewers are also first time viewers of the his Mar- yeah. dark materials concepts. And I also don't want to give anything away Thank for you. somebody who is watching this show and has not read the books. Mm-hmm. So everything that I talk about outside of page to screen, and we'll I'll tell you when we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm going to try not to spoil anything. Try that to be spoiler. Would- free as possible. And it might not happen in the show anyway, Mm -hmm. so we'll just safely, you know, stick, you know, kind of dodge that. Um, By the way, how do you feel about, like, the church aesthetic? I really like when people can present that kind of aesthetic really well, and I think HBO is doing a great job. What I especially love about the show is how everything is linked to the church, and everything's very biblical. The Jordan College, 
the cardinal, mm-hmm. father, the way that the magisterium is, they chant Latin. And it, yeah, and they it, did chant Latin they, in this episode, didn't it they? It feels very, <laughs> very Roman Catholic to I me. agree, and yeah. I grew up in a Roman Catholic kind of, well, Ro- yeah. Catholic upbringing i'm sure you did yeah yeah (laughs) philly (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i and the aesthetic was so immediately not i wouldn't call it comfortable but familiar yeah i and i understood especially from like my teachings of like this is what the church was like and this is what the church does very much prevalent there and i feel like philip pullman as the author when he wrote the books and now that they're doing the adaptation on the screen i feel like it's very much trying to pull on this de- idea of the heretic and hearsay hearsay and they're trying to make a very obvious statement yeah. about not being able to speak your truth and certain things like the gobblers which have to uh people are almost afraid to talk about it Mm -hmm. and it's so it's interesting so we'll get to that in a second Mm -hmm. but just to kind of touch a little bit more on asriel and her relationship with uh, his relationship with lyra Mm -hmm. um, we get this whole dynamic between the two of them that's very heartwarming Mm -hmm. it all leads up to this moment um where lyra who isn't sure she can trust the master anymore uh he the master ends up giving lyra the golden compass aka the alethiometer Um, And so it's just, it's interesting the way that they're setting it up that no adult, Lyra's not getting the truth from any, the full truth Mm. from any adult in her life. I think that was a proper way to kind of present the characters in this because you can even see like the master, for instance, I don't believe that he did that on his own fruition. I don't know how you feel about that, but every bit of what he was doing was so obvious to me that he didn't want to do it, but he felt as though he had to do it from the magisterium. And I think the situation too, I agree with you. And I also think that, the way that the master was kind of weighing this out, it was, I think it was a moral calculus, mm-hmm. like, like a decision that he was like, okay, well, if I don't do something, yeah. if I don't get rid of Asriel, then kill more one, people are yeah. going to die. Yeah, kill one, save a thousand, or yeah. kill a thousand, save one. But I don't think the math adds up here. No, but there's something, like, just from seeing um, in episode two, we'll get to that later, mm-hmm. but just from seeing the master go to the magisterium, something seems off. Definitely. Um, but um, Lyra does get the golden compass. Mm-hmm. and Which she... I know nothing about. <laughs> yeah. I know nothing about what this thing does. I've never even seen the movie. I, I don't know what this thing does. So it's... <laughs> Yeah. I'm so excited because so far all it is is a piece of metal, and I know that it's not going to be, especially since the first book slash the movie was all about this thing. I'm so excited to see what Lyra is going to do with it. And at this point, she cannot do anything because she has not realized how to work it. Um, But so so we have everything going on with them. Um, and then we get to the gobblers and Billy being taken away. What did you make mm. of that moment? The the whole, the actual tradition in itself was so sweet for, for the kid to, um, his brother, Billy's brother, to actually get 
the uh, demon that he it was him turning into a man for this to happen it had me I, I admit it kind of threw me for a loop because I thought the dude that whistled and had the wolf was like oh he is the gobbler I didn't realize it was a group of people which is kind of wild to think about especially as this episode progresses and you hear more that this is an ongoing thing I thought they played this story out super well and the expansion on the civilization that goes throughout with um with the Egyptians, I thought that was incredible. Well, I think what I found especially interesting is that we started to learn how the demons were very connected to their person. That was, um, I loved how they introduced that. I love how um, we almost see the demons as being very, um, I mean, they are. They're the protector of whoever they're with. And Mm -hmm. what I loved about the coming-of-age ceremony that Tony had is that we we learned more about the world and we learned that it the demon is not going to take on a permanent form until Mm -hmm. their person is is an actual adult, which is interesting. Another biblical reference, because in the Jewish faith, in in Catholicism too, confirmation, you are... Yeah, good point. You're like 12, 13. I thought you were going to bring some stuff about like animals into this, like the development of it. I was like, where (laughs) did did I miss that chapter? (laughs) (laughs) That would make Catholicism so much cooler. (laughs) But it's like, like speaking of all these biblical references, Mm -hmm. the, the children themselves, like... Tony to me is still a child. Oh yeah, but they're saying, "Hey, you're an adult now," and yeah. he looks about. He looks you're about a man now. <laughs> you get this squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, he got a bird, didn't he? He, I think it was a. I think his demon morphed into a bird permanently. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that I kind of want to mention too, while we're talking about all this, is this idea of the dust. Mm. And what we're quickly learning in this world is that Azrael made some discovery up in the north. And that this discovery of dust, um, one, could lead to different worlds, but then, two, we kind of are starting to learn that it does not affect children. Which is, I I feel like they're throwing that as like a, I don't know. I don't know how much I believe that. I know that's what they're establishing, but I just don't understand it yet. I don't even really understand what dust is generally. Well, they, and I'm going to touch on this now, even though it's a little more episode two, Mm. but it's interesting because um, just to jump forward for one second, uh, Lyra and Coulter, when they were talking about Mm -hmm. electrons, Mm -hmm. and Lyra's answer was, well, dust, they're electrons too, but they're just not negatively charged. Um, That's the idea I'm getting from Mm. that. And when Asriel mentioned photons, Mm. I'm getting that essentially it's almost like energy that is surrounding, um, that that basically illuminates something that you wouldn't otherwise know is there. Man, so this is really on the nose about religion versus science, isn't it? And and the church, a.k.a. the magisterium, they are all like, no. You can't talk about such things. Exactly. And they're like trying to off everybody who's involved. But at the same time, the gobblers, as we're starting to learn more about them, uh, they the so we're we're getting some factions between mm-hmm. the oblation uh, and the magisterium. Mm-hmm. But before we get there, mm-hmm. just to kind of finish off our talk yeah. of episode one, episode one. Um, we get this woman named Coulter, Coulter, who arrives to Jordan College. Immediately bad energy. Yeah. Immediately. First of all, I just want to congratulate her on such a fantastic performance so far. Ruth Wilson. Can't wait. Ruth Wilson, fantastic job. Can't wait to see the rest of what you do with this character. But oh my god. Horrible energy. 
Just like, I, even the pleasantness, I just thought she did such a good job at bringing forth this character that was supposed to be so motherly, but there's just something right off. Just right off. Yeah. Mm. It was, it's been, it's being, she's playing this role incredibly because you could just feel that she was manipulative enough to have an effect on a 12-year-old child um, mm. without a 12-year-old understanding that she was being manipulated. So yeah. I, I believe that. Um, but She's also, just too nice. This is, Lyra is also somebody who does not have a mother yeah. and doesn't have, I mean, her, her <laughs> she had Azrael. Yeah, but, father figure. But, but he kept popping in and out of her life. I was about to say, he didn't do a very good job as an uncle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, even if this was her real uncle, yeah. like he was just, you know, just yeah. poor at it. But... The whole thing is that when she came into the room, I knew instantly that she was going to mess with Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't just because of the books. I just kind of felt it yeah. from what they were doing with this. Yeah. And um, I just, yeah. I the was... separation of the two was just immediately like a bad feeling. It was too coincidental. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and I kind of like only learned that in hindsight. I didn't actually expect any relation between the two to happen but to see that happen it just makes me so curious as to what she wants with lyra besides taking her on an adventure now earlier on when Mm. the master was talking to the librarian they did mention a couple things that i think are pretty important Mm. one about lyra we we keep getting the sense that she's the chosen child yes um one and then two that she would have to make a betrayal as part of her journey yes and they're apparently defending her uh or she's She's going to be super powerful, which might hurt her or them, them, and nobody knows. Everybody seems to know why, except for her or anybody directly related to her. Yeah, and it's it's hard to say. Like, so many people have betrayed her mm-hmm. that it's hard to say. Like, would it even, in my mind, I'm thinking, would it even be, really be much of a betrayal, considering the adults in her life? Take have... care of this child, you fools. She is so good. <laughs> She's so good. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. That's so sad. <laughs> She's already learning how to not trust at such a young age. Which sucks. Yeah. I mean, you you, I, obviously, the way that the story is, she needs to go through it. But yeah. I just, it's so hard to watch her get immediately betrayed by so many different people in her yeah. life. And and to somebody who cares so much for the other people around her. So let's, with the time that we have, mm-hmm. let's jump into betrayals mm-hmm. and start talking about episode two, which is called The Idea of the North. Um, interesting title there. And we can talk mm-hmm. more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump in. Let's talk about Lyra's relationship and stay with Coulter. Yeah. So it starts off with her in the massive hotel and she owns an entire floor of the hotel. First of all, where's she getting the money? That's immediately <laughs> a little sketchy. Um, but yeah, I, I, as soon as we walked in, it felt like a prison. Well, one thing I will say, as I was watching mm-hmm. Coulter, I was doing my own personal character study of her. Okay. And she mentioned to Lyra, like, pretty quickly, hey, you do you notice that I'm the only female here? And yeah. do you know how I got here? And basically explaining to her, yeah, like, I pretty much had to do and, you know, wear certain things, mm-hmm. act a certain way. And do certain things to get to where I am. And so I will say this, and uh, without jumping mm-hmm. into what happens in the books, mm-hmm. uh, regardless, I I almost kind of understand Coulter better now mm-hmm. just from hearing her speak and just from watching her. And, like, when she had that moment with Lyra on the roof yeah. where she said, hey, are you afraid of heights? And Lyra said, not really, no. But then Coulter's response was, I am because I'm always worried that I'm going to want to jump. 
Interesting. Yeah, I I kind of piggybacking off of that, especially in the uh, like the scene with Lyra and Coulter in the mirror of her trying to morph Lyra into somebody that she believes will be safe in this world. We we see good intentions within her, but there obviously are side things that are manipulating her perception of what she believes to be good in this world. But it's not really her fault because she's had to deal with, for instance, a very man-centric academic world in a world that she had to grow up in and be like, I have to be perfect. I have to do everything by the book or else somebody's going to get me and, and I'm not going to be able to continue what I have yeah. and even still I mean we see through episode 2 that she has to deal with the magisterium breathing down her neck yeah. and she can't do anything without their permission now the only thing that makes me jump from okay this is a gray area character to oh no 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 she's bad is the moment when Lyra overhears something in the study mm-hmm. and is clearly spying yeah. after that whole ordeal basically Coulter six her monkey on poor that Pan. was terrifying. Yeah. And the emotional and physical abuse just immediately towards that without... And I side note, I found it so interesting how they showed physical abuse without them showing Coulter, like, physically beating up on Lyra. Yeah. It was a very intriguing way to show that. Because originally I thought that's where they were going to go, yeah. is that is that Coulter was going to strike her. Mm-hmm. Like, the way, you know, a mother might do, you know, a crazed mother might do to their poor child. Yeah. Um, but I do like that in this world in general, one, we learned that if your demon is affected or killed, that you experience the same pains. That's how connected you are. Oh, this is terrifying um, premise for later. Yeah. <laughs> and um, not only did we learn that, but in the middle of this heated moment... Coulter basically pulled a scar from Lion King and gave out information that I feel like she did on purpose, yeah. telling Lyra that the that her father is actually Azrael. Yeah. I Do you buy that, first of all? Yes. Okay. First of all, I definitely do. Because okay. and so just to be a little clear on this, we were talking beforehand, and I think we both kind of agree <laughs> on this, and I think everybody that could uh, I have a feeling that she is actually Lyra's mother. I have a feeling. I don't know this to be true. Rachel wouldn't tell me. I cannot. I can neither confirm nor deny this statement because and, I do know the truth. From yeah. The books. And I'm sure people in the chat will definitely. By the way, if you're interested in talking to us, we have our chat here every uh, every Monday at seven o'clock. We're going to be in the chat. We're going to be watching you guys. So if you have any comments, if you have any questions, pull to us there. But I have a feeling that she was being very truthful about uh, Azriel being piss poor at taking care of anybody and she is included in the people that he is bad at taking care of. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you because then she went on to say oh hey, like he had a he had a woman in every town. Oh yeah. Like I felt like she was the disgruntled ex-girlfriend. Totally, definitely the disgruntled (laughs) baby mama. Yeah. Who's to say? I don't blame her, though. I mean, if if that is to be true, I mean, it's very obvious that Azriel is stuck in his work and isn't going to care about much else besides his work unless it's befitting to him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Painting a weird picture for Azriel in the future of this show for me. I wanted to like him. He's so handsome. 
<laughs> Which is exactly the reason we should like all characters. <laughs> um, he, yeah, I will say this, like, just as an aside note, mm-hmm. he's very, like, if I could have imagined somebody playing this character, it, it would have been... James McAvoy. And this is before, yeah. like, I read this book, book before he had ever come to fame, so... Uh, yeah, I think he's doing a great job as the character. Um, yeah. But congrats to the to the uh, caster. You did you, great. Seriously. You did so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about the gobblers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we find this episode. It was interesting. They quickly showed us where Roger was. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of saw their living conditions. We saw that the Egyptians were on a search party going mm-hmm. to try and find them, um, and they finally realized. Like before, gobblers have just kind of been. Like, almost this, like, you know, crazed tale that nobody, that like kind of like the boogeyman. Yeah. Um, but now the Egyptians are pretty much like, nope, they exist. It's real. They've got our kids. Yeah. I didn't actually expect them to go the route that they did with the story. It kind of surprised me that they were keeping the kids for something. And I'm kind of glad that they went that direction because I thought that they were going to immediately start killing kids. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Is this the direction the story goes in? But to see them kind of hold up in these rooms, like, I am so intrigued to see where this goes. So the interesting thing, I loved how they handled it near the end of the episode mm-hmm. where Lyra's left alone. She's mm-hmm. been locked into the apartment, um, which is, uh, yeah, another red flag to her. Finally, like, everything is set off. Um, so she's locked in the apartment. She actually learns how to kind of climb through, which is what um, Coulter's monkey was doing, mm-hmm. which Coulter can separate from, mm-hmm. and so they don't know what she is. Um, but basically, the whole thing is Lyra climbs through this ventilation system, ends up in the study. As Lyra is kind of finding out about the oblation board, Yes, we kind of get the interspersed cut between that and Coulter further manipulating children... By having them write letters to their family, including Roger, only to burn the letters at Coulter, the end. you're going to die in this series, and I'm going to enjoy watching your character <laughs> die for what you're doing to these children. Yeah, she's just, like, beyond. <laughs> it's just evil. Like, I didn't, like, I didn't expect it to get that evil immediately. But she is the person moving all the die around, moving all of the figures around, waiting for all of these things to happen with these children with those boxes those carts that look like they're going on a train i just cannot imagine this being anything except ritual sacrifice in the north and all yeah and well i won't (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the yeah so the whole thing too is that we learned that the magisterium is actually not even like they're they're having problems with her and we mm-hmm. kind of, you know, we, we obviously find out she is the oblation board. Mm-hmm. They're having problems with her. So she is now acting um, faster to try and get every all of her pieces set in motion. Um, one thing I found especially interesting was um, the the blueprints that yes. Lyra finds. Yeah. In particular, it looks kind of like a cage yes. with a, I think it was a child and Yeah, there was a child separated. and their demon in separate boxes, but kind of in the same thing. And yeah. it looked like there were like electrical coils sticking off of them. I wonder if that's going to try and separate them or just like mute them. I don't know. Well, I don't. Uh, well. Rachel knows all of these things, and I don't know any of them. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk about this, but don't. I don't. I, I won't. need. I need to see the rest of this series before <laughs> I can talk about this in any length. By the way, they always they kept saying something that 
really intrigues me that I have kind of a prediction based off of it, but I wanted to get uh, maybe maybe you can't even talk about it. But well, they keep saying that the children are going to the best possible place. And, like, the only thing that I can think of there is that they're going to heaven. They're going to kill these kids. They're going to kill these kids. I'm terrified. I will hold my thoughts. Abstain your thoughts. I will abstain. Yes. I hate being right. <laughs> I, will no, I will not confirm yeah, or deny. That's okay. But that's, like... And the commentary that's going here, I haven't even been able to fully flesh out the commentary that they're trying to put forth about the church and the church's abuse of children under the veil of teachings and, and like, the the scholastic influence that the church has. There's so much to unpack. And that's what I feel, that it's very allegorical. Yes. Especially, I think the books were written in the 80s. Let yeah, me double check. I, I do think that's correct. Yeah, just because it's not, and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier, mm-hmm. is that these books, which were written, oh, of course it doesn't say. All right, I will pull that. 1995, it looks like. Yeah. Um. So, still, that is... There were a, there was a lot going on in that time that was kind of you know we can talk about this more later but mm. just the the allegory is very obvious with yes. what they're trying to get at in yeah. terms of kids and the church um, and it's kind of terrifying I yeah mean, yeah there was so much there's so much that has been going on in the past thirty years that involves the church and and their unfortunate digressions that have happened um, I'm just so interested to learn more about Philip Pullman's kind of viewpoint on this because that's one of the things that I have known going into this series is that this takes very, very strong points in the idea of like religion and religion's relationship with humans. And when one of my friends was describing to me this series, they said like something about like, killing god and i was like what does that even mean now that's a great time for us to talk about kind of the last two things of this episode uh boreal crossing into different worlds because you bring up a great point we learn that boreal goes into regular oxford he's got two parking tickets he gets out his ordinary smartphone smartphone. and like arnold (laughs) i'm back what a funny and totally unexpected thing. Which, by the way, the intros so far for His Dark Materials, beautiful. It also showed a multiverse. Mm-hmm. It kind of teased everything at the beginning. I'm going to have to watch these intros way closely whenever they come on because it is pretty much giving us some teasers before we even go into it. And I'm so excited about that. So, but the whole thing is that we get to compare our world to this world. Mm-hmm. And at the very top of the show, it said this world is Much different, like ours. But yeah. yeah, it has its similarities. Yeah. Uh, and I think the whole thing is that without directly saying it, they're trying to say, hey, guess what? Mm. You could be going through the same thing. Is that the foreword to the book? Do you know if there's a foreword to the book that's much so. like that? I don't remember there being, okay. but let me double check and yeah. um, actually like fact check that. But yeah. I don't believe so. Because that would be interesting, especially now that we're in the internet age, and the internet age in like 2019 is way different than 1995 to 2000 so i'm wondering like i'm curious to have to know what was what is going to be different about the technology they have in present day our planet versus what they had and just a quick note too um i read these books in when i was in ninth grade Mm. in 2003 Mm -hmm. and so there were they didn't have smartphones and they didn't very different world so even if they were comparing it to our world it it, some people probably would have been on dial-up 
but still. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm just so curious to see what they do with, like, here's modern technology, here's our yeah. world, and then here's Lyra's world. They are very different in the advancements they've made. I mean, we even see immediately, he's got a smartphone. He's got, he's got his car. He's got his big fancy car. He's got... In this cafe that he goes to with that uh, red-headed gentleman. Yeah. Um, and he's looking for yeah. somebody, and he believes that Guman is still alive. Guman. And Guman has found a way to be, become a multiverse traveler. Which is crazy. I wonder where the riffs are. Where are the rest of these riffs? They can't just be that one. There's got to be tons of them all over the place. Yeah. So let's jump and just really quickly talk about the party at the end and yes. Lyra's escape. And gotcha. then we'll get to our segment. Absolutely. So just really quickly, what did you make of the party? What did you make of the journalist and the butterfly? Uh, the party, certainly terrifying immediately on the premise, just knowing that culture is throwing them. And, and we know how Lyra's attitude is going to be towards them. She has to be an obedient, good little girl or else she is going to get... Uh, beat up. Yeah. And you can see that on her face immediately, and I felt terrible. It felt trapping. And then to see, I think her name, her name, I actually did catch it because I was hoping she was going to be a more major character. That got cut off pretty quick. Her name was Adele. Um, That was the, yeah, the name of the journalist. And I was so, I was like, oh my god, yes. Yes, we have somebody on her side. And And she's dead. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't even get a second with her. And that, like, how do you have a demon that fragile? That's what I'm concerned about for the future. The problem is... Now, here's the thing, and I think that they're also trying to... I think that they are also trying to speak on the... On children's ability to adapt to their environment, because a child has a demon that can adapt into any any animal, really, um, whereas an adult... They're stuck. I just had an epiphany. So her butterfly was always going to be a butterfly from her coming of age. But adults are very... Like, I think that that's what they're trying to say. That as an adult, you are stuck in this one place. Whereas children are more adaptable. And that's why... I have a prediction based directly on that. But we'll talk about that in a second. I need to write it down. So let's just jump into our segments. Um, Let's start with our page to screen segment. Flip the page. Yeah. Go to the page. That's it. Um, so, I will... Let me just talk about a couple of the things. I am not going to get into detail because mm. I don't want to give anything away. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, there's a lot I could talk about here. But basically, the major things from episode one and two, um, we have, first of all, Lyra's hair. It should actually be blonde and curly. I know that's a, that's a tiny detail. Um, also, another big thing is the golden compass. She actually learns how to use it pretty quickly. Um, a lot more quickly than they're showing in the series. I'm sure they have a reason, and it is working, and it's making things a little less easy for her. But um, she does have... uh, It is an easier time. Also, um, so we also get a little bit with the... um, just with Roger in general, um, things, the timeline of when things are happening with him are a little bit different. Okay. Um, so those were kind of the major things at this point. Um, let's go ahead and get to our news segment. After TV News. So today we have two main articles. The first one is talking about, um, it is the major headliner for uh, His Dark Materials very recently about the views and the view counts to uh, the original episode to this episode. Apparently, uh, 
in the first episode, they had about 7.2 million tuning in on the BBC, which, by the way, this pre- this broadcast on the BBC before it comes to the U.S., and apparently on the second episode, it went down to 5.7 million. So the headlines have been uh, they're losing 1.5 million viewers on its second outing for the BBC, but luckily, I can say that the end of this article that Deadline gives says that the first installment was seen by 700,000 viewers in the U.S. this past week, making it one of the best debuts. HBO has ever seen on a Monday and also it's still 6.2 million viewers that is nothing to be laughed at that is something that we can still say is a very solid view count for the first two episodes and the second one is from Radio Times talking about the uh, locations that this that this series actually is using and most of the locations are actually based out of a studio that they have uh, that is from the BBC which a lot of people are kind of surprised by I'm surprised by that personally because so many of the outdoor scenes are beautiful but I'm sure they're done by CGI at this point because the BBC has advanced so much as well as the rest of the world but most everything that has been shown in here has been done in studio built in studio and then run through CGI which beautiful job with it oh my gosh everybody involved with this so far has been so impressive in their craft just the writing the actors the CGI the sound the music it's been beautiful so that's our news for this week but thank you so much to the cast and crew so far and i'm so excited to see what continues well thank you Vito. you're welcome our last segment which we've all been waiting for is our predictions your after buzz tv (laughs) predictions Vito, would you like to start yes okay my first my major prediction and this is a series-wide prediction i think that lyra is going to be all-powerful with her ability to adapt her demon even past adult and I don't know if we're going to be able to see that because I have a feeling that this is uh, this series is going to take place with her mainly as a child. But I think she, I think it has something to do with the compass that she's going to be able to turn her demon into anything that she wants to. Because right now the main disadvantage that a lot of people have, especially with their demons, is that they can't change them, and that's like one of the big things that has been presented in this series. So I'm just curious as to see what the golden compass is going to be able to let her do. But I have a feeling that it's going to have something to do with that I'm I'm gonna look away so you don't (laughs) give it away (laughs) I'm just gonna say what I think might happen next episode without giving any spoilers I mean I really don't know they could throw us all for a loop that's true um I'm thinking by next episode she will be able to use the golden compass okay I would hope so and I'm excited I if that is the case I'm really excited to see what this thing does I just I know it's not gonna give her any answers it's not a future predictor maybe it'll allow her to jump through rifts in the world yeah but I have a feeling it has something to do with her demon and I think any other prediction I were to give is just a little bit of a spoiler. So, because I kind of know who grabbed her at the end of the episode, so I don't yeah. want to say. Oh yeah, I also have a prediction about him. So actually, yeah, I have a twofold. I have another. I have another two that I think. Uh, <laughs> since you can't really present any, I will try to present some. I think the man who we saw as like the person who gets people for the gobblers, the one that has the demon, that's the wolf or fox. It looks like a gray fox with orange eyes or a wolf. I can't really tell. I have a feeling that he's not actually as bad as. People. People are giving him to be. I think he might be a mercenary. Maybe, honestly, he might be Lin-Manuel Miranda, and we don't know it yet because we know he's going to be in this series. I don't know. Uh, The other one, I actually... I This was something that I was thinking of, and then it went back and forth. Boreal. So I think Boreal is going to be, one, a very important character, and two, 
better than we think. Just look at his name. I know. The Aurora Just, yeah, Borealis. The Aurora, yes, exactly. I think he's supremely powerful. I think it's very obvious that he might be just like a rift walker or a, like a world walker, whatever you want to tell it. Um, that um, just has a different viewpoint or is getting money. P.S. In Latin, Boreal means northern. Oh, my God. <laughs> I did know the Aurora Borealis. And, I mean, there are other pieces of media that I've that yeah. I've seen that have Boreal in it. And it's just like there's no way that he's not yeah. going to be important. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that about wraps up this week for His Dark Materials. Vito, where can everybody find you? If you want to help me riff jump a little bit and go to another world, you can find me at Twitter, at VScutty, at V-S-C-U-T-T-I, also on Instagram, at VScutty. And I am Rachel Goodman. You can find me on Twitter at Rachel Goodman or on Instagram on my author name at Rachel Radner Author. Uh, until next week, we uh, will be tune in next week, I should say, yeah. for episode three. Um, we will be here on Monday at 7 p.m. PST. And make sure to thumb up and five stars on iTunes if yes. you're listening to this on iTunes. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Our founder Kevin Undergaro and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first; we're the biggest in the world and we're the only destination for all your favorite tv shows whatever you crave we've got it so go to afterbuzztv.com and check out our lineup buzz you later <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of afterbuzz tv or its owners or principal